I'm Sarah Lippman. Welcome to Torah Imecha Nachyomi with the OU Women's Initiative. Today we will be learning Divrei Hayamim, Chronicles, Volume 1, Chapter 4. Many of the principles used in today's class are based on the teachings of Rabbi Moshe Eisman of Baltimore in his magnificent commentary in the Art Scroll Divrei Hayamim and his many recorded classes, for which I'm deeply grateful. Errors and misunderstandings are my own. Chapter 4, Verse 1. B'nai Yehuda the children of Yehuda, Peretz, Chetzron, Becharmi, Vechor, Veshoval. Peretz, his son Chetzron, his son Karmi, his son Chor, his son Shoval. Chapter 4 throws us into a time warp, sending us back two chapters and almost a thousand years. Back to chapter 2, verse 3, the children of Yehuda were Er and Onan and introducing the story of Tamar. Chapter 4 starts over again with the sons of Yehuda, but rather than a son-after-son list of names running down the full line of the royal house of David, chapter 4 lists them as families with an eye toward their development and their spread as they lived and settled in the land of Israel. The lists for the tribe of Yehuda continue until verse 23, where we then shift to the genealogy of the tribe of Shimon, their neighboring tribe. Verse 9, And Yabetz, was esteemed amongst all of his brethren. Ve'imo karashmo Yabetz, and his mother named him Yabetz, Lemor, as if to say, ki yolatiti be'otsev, I gave birth with great suffering. Ve'yikra Yabetz le'lokei Yisrael, and Yabetz called out to the God of Israel, Lemor, saying, im barech tevarcheni, if you will bless me surely, ve'hir beso eskavuli, and expand my boundaries, ve'haisa yadcha imi, and if your hand will be with me, ve'asisa me'ra'a levilti atzbi, and save me from all that is evil, in order that I not become depressed, ve'yaveyelokim, and God brought upon him es asher sha'al, that which he requested. So many questions. First of all, Yabitz is the first person where the book of Divrei Hayamim starts to tell us something about his life and what happened to him. Second of all, who is Yabetz? Third of all, in what way was he so respected from amongst all his brethren? The Maharal, quoting Chazal, cites Reish Lakish, saying, From the beginning of Divrei Hayamim, with Adam, Shes, and Enosh, up until Yabetz, nobody is described as being respected, having kavod. And then when you get to Yabetz, the verse says, Vayhi Yabetz nichbad me'echov. Yabetz was respected amongst his brethren. Why is that? Another question. Why would his mother name him such a terrible name? Why did she name him Yabetz as a hint to the difficulty or the sadness in her life or the difficulty in delivering him? Why saddle him with a name that is in memory of negativity? Who is Yabetz? Mitsudas David says, looking at the strict simple meaning of the words, we don't know who Yabetz is. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the Torah. Appreciating the limitations of the simple meaning here, we turn to the words of Chazal, who say, Hu Osniel, Hu Yabetz. Yabetz is in fact very well known to us. He is Osniel ben Kenaz, the first of the Shoftim, of the judges, who led the Jewish people as a politically united body in the era between the entrance into Israel and the time of the kings. So Yabetz being described as respected from amongst all his brethren is a very apt description of the first person chosen as a leader for the entire nation after the deaths of Yehoshua and Moshe before him. Remember, we have learned that the unfamiliar names in Divrei Hayamim represent allusions to the inner essence of the people. As we learn about Yabetz, 
we learn how he became Osniel ben Kanaz, leader of the Jewish people, moral guide, and judge. It wasn't his privileged upbringing, it wasn't his cheerful beginnings that led him to success. It was the difficulty and the struggle that he began with, with the name Yabates. We might have thought that being saddled with a name like Yabates would mean that he was doomed to a depressed, terrible life. It seems that Yabates himself thought that might be the case. And thus Yabates screamed for help to God. God, he said, do for me, give me blessing, expand my boundaries, allow me to be successful, allow me not to be dragged down into atzbi, my depression, my sadness that I was born with. Rav Shamshon Rafal Hirsch teaches, the greatest blessing of all is the ability to dispense blessing. If so, then what Yabetz needed most to take him out of a feeling of doom and gloom was the opportunity to be able to give. In fact, let's see what our sages tell us about Osniel, Yabetz, and his prayer. Why was he called Yabetz? It's like the word Ya'atz gave advice. He advised in words of Torah. It's like the word Rebates. He spread, he disseminated, for he disseminated Torah amongst Israel. And how do we know that God answered him? Because the verse says, he cried out to God and God answered him. And what was his request of God? If you will bless me in Torah. And expand my boundaries with students. If your hand will be with me, that the Torah that I learned should not be forgotten from my heart. And bring me friends, friends like me, people who care about the same things I do, who will learn from me and learn with me the Torah that brings joy into the darkest places. So that I will not be captured by my sadness, by my Yetzir Hara, dragging me down and making me feel slow and cool and unable to go further. If you will do that, great, says Yabetz. But if not, I'm afraid I will sink into oblivion. Do you remember where we saw Yabetz before? Back in chapter 2, verse 55? Umishbecho Sofrim, the families of the Sofrim, the teachers, Yoshve Yabetz, lived with Yabetz, Tirasim, Shimasim, Suchasim, these three families of Sofrim, of teachers. Hema Hakinim, they were people of Keni who came Mechamas Avi Beis Rechav. They were descendants of Moshe and Zipporah. They were descendants of Yisro, Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law. And Yabetz called out to the God of Israel and Hashem sent him what he asked for. God sent him students, God sent him friends. And thus Yabetz became Osniel ben Kanaz, the first of the great Shoftim, leaders of the Jewish people during that long era between the days of Joshua and the days of the kings. The first story incorporated into Divrei Hayamim. It's beautiful. It's inspiring. It gives us hope for our own personal future. But why would this lesson be ideally learned by being embedded within a Sefer Yuchsin, a nine-chapter list of genealogies? Maybe we can gain some insight into this from the teachings of Rav Hirsch in Chorev, chapter 6. Your life has a twofold aspect, what happens to you and what comes from you, what you receive and what you produce, your lot and your actions. 
A classic genealogy tells you where someone comes from. All the things encoded in a person's DNA, his appearance, his talent, his personality. In theory, with enough information, you ought to be able to predict exactly what a person will be like, their nature, given the influence and impact of their environment, their nurture. But we'd still be missing something very important, the anochios, the identity, the person himself. Says Rav Hirsch, God causes you to be born at such and such a time, at such and such a place, of such parents, in such an environment. He equips you with such faculties, both of body and of mind, places you in such a position in life. He gives you all this as the means with which to carry out his will. In other words, from the point of view of any person, his nature and his nurture are both in the category of what happens to you, what you receive. But there's another aspect of life too, what Rav Hirsch calls what comes from you, what you produce, your actions, continues Rav Hirsch. Whether you will really fulfill God's will depends entirely on yourself. As the sages say, Hakol Everything is in the hands of God except the fear of God. Everything is God's. Only your heart is yours. Just as your past and your present have come to you immediately from the hands of God, so your future lies only in God's hands and in your own. For it is the future which you create for yourself according to your good or evil use of your past and present. According to this behavior of yours, God fashions your future. And so it is that man himself half makes his own future. We are entering very deep waters here. Your world, your life situation, that all comes from God. That's your history, your parentage, your education, your privilege, your environment. All of that is the scenario in which you get to choose if you're going to do what God wants of you right here, right now, with what you've got. That's it. Yabetz was given a certain background, a certain mother, a certain name. The question is not, is he doomed? The question is, what is he going to do with what he is given? Right here, right now. What does God want of me? The strengths I've inherited from my ancestors, and also their weaknesses, they aren't my destiny. They're my starting point. They're my opportunity. My free will allows me to build on my past. It allows me to correct the flaws of personality, the mistakes in how I see things, or it allows me to go down a whole new path entirely, learn from new role models, be a product of what they have to offer. Even if my own teachers, my own inspiration comes from some other branch of the family, not my immediate parents. The sages teach in the Gemara in Kiddushan. The Amr of Elazar that Rabbi Elazar said, Lo ala Ezra mi Babel ad nikia ve'ola. That Ezra did not come up from Babylonia until he first sifted the flour to make it clean, and then he came up. Ezra's sifting project is the Sefer Yuchsin, the Book of Chronicles. Before Ezra came to Israel, he wrote a Sefer Yuchsin. He traced every single Yichos, every family line carefully. At the same time, he showed people that their yichus is only half the story. It's the what you receive aspect of your life. That's not your achievement. That's your opportunity. Even King David himself, maybe especially King David, comes from a complicated and difficult background. The greatness of David HaMelech's yichus is not in their privilege. The greatness of his ancestors was in their character, their choices when things got tough. David HaMelech himself was not free of tough times, 
or of the responsibility to choose higher. Where that greatness comes from is from knowing that where you come from and who you are is only the beginning. So it is man himself who half makes his own future. And perhaps it is because of this that Ezra doesn't give the future messages straight out. Continues Rabbi Hirsch. It is because man himself half makes his own future that no creature, not even the universe itself, can tell you what is in store for you. There is no name that implies a doomed destiny. There is a name that implies what a person has made of themselves. Verse 18. Ve'ishto ha'yehudiah and Kalev's Jewish wife, Yalda es Yered Avigdor, ve'es Chever Avisoho, ve'es Yekusiel Avizanoach, ve'ele b'nei Bisya basparo asher lokach mored. A most confusing verse. Kalev's Jewish wife, does that mean he had a wife who had not been Jewish? Why is she called Yehudiah, Jewish? Because she denied Avodah Zarah. As the verse says, the daughter of Pharaoh went down to bathe in the Nile. Rabbi Yochanan says, this means she went to wash herself of the filth of the Avodah Zarah of her father's house. Our verse said, Yalda, she gave birth to, Yered Avigdor, Chever Avisocho, Yekusiel Avizanoach, gave birth to, says the Gemara. She raised him. She didn't give birth to him. This tells you that anyone who raises an orphan in his home is considered by the Torah to have given birth to the child. Then the Gemara goes on to say that all of the children listed here, Yered, Avigdor, Chever, Avisocho, Yekusiel, Avizanoach, these are all Moshe Rabbeinu himself, says the Midrash in Shmos Rabbah. The daughter of Pharaoh called the child Moshe. From here you learn the reward of those who do chesed, loving-kindness. Because despite the fact that Moshe had so many names, God himself only calls him Moshe, the name which Basia, the daughter of Pharaoh, called him. Why? What is so special about the name that Basia called him? And what does it have to do with her kindness in reaching out, extending herself to save him? God himself is telling us, that the most important description of who Moshe was was the name that was taught to him by his adopted mother, Bithya, the daughter of Pharaoh. The Sephorno in Shemos chapter 2 explains, Why did she name him Moshe? The verse says, She called him that because from the water I have drawn him. If so, asks Sephorno, why didn't she call him Mashui, the one who is drawn out. Why did she commemorate that she drew him out rather than commemorating that he is the one who is drawn out? Hatam Shekirasiv Moshe, the reason she called him Moshe, teaches the Sephorno, was to teach him to rescue others. Because just as I drew you out of the water, she says to Moshe, you can draw others out too. It was Basia, the daughter of Paro, who taught Moshe Rabbeinu what his role in life was to be, a rescuer, someone who will reach beyond himself to save others. Again and again, we find that this is the role he plays for the Jewish people. We have learned that a person is called by three names. The name his father and mother give him, 
the name that others give him, and the name that God himself calls him in the book of his life. God calls Moshe, Moshe, in the book of his life, not because of what had happened to him in the past when he was a child, but because of what he made of himself as a choosing adult. One more lesson. Verse 22. V'yokim v'anshe choseva v'yoash v'saraf asher ba'alu l'moav v'yashuvi lachem v'hadvarim atikim. And Yokim and the people of Kozeva, and Yoash and Saraf, who became masters of Moab, and Yashuvi Lechem. Now these are ancient traditions. Who is this verse speaking of? Says the Gemara in Bava Basra, V'yokim, and he got up, V'anche Choseva, people who betrayed, Yoash and Saraf, Yoash, one who despairs, Saraf, one who is consumed by fire, Asher Boalu Lemoav, who intermarried with Moav, Viashuvi Lachem, and returned to base Lachem. In hidden cryptic words, Ezra reminds us of the story of Machlon and Chilion, Elimelech and Naomi, and Rus, the great grandmother of David Hamelech. Machlon and Chilion, the more familiar names of the sons of Elimelech and Naomi, are here called those who despaired and who burned themselves up. They gave up on God's salvation. They left the land of Israel. They abandoned their families and communities and went to live in Moab, where they intermarried with princesses of the royal house of Moab, Rus and Orpah. Vayashuvi lachem. And then they returned to Beislechem, Naomi, and Rus sticking by her. Vehadvarim Atikim. These things are most ancient. Now the story of Rus is pretty ancient by the time Ezra's writing it down, but it's not as ancient as the story of Yabates or Yehuda and Tamar. What makes the story of Rus rooted so far back in the mists of time? Rus is a story at the intersection of legacy and destiny, and its roots are indeed in the earliest times, when Nimrod cast Avraham into a fiery furnace and he came out alive, his brother Haran also gave his life, Al-Kidush Hashem, to sanctify God's name and was thrown into the fiery furnace. Haran didn't make it out alive because his dedication was good but imperfect. He only supported God publicly because he saw his brother Avraham survive the fiery furnace. He said, if my brother comes out alive, I too will stand up for God's name. But if my brother dies, I'll keep quiet. It's understandable, but it's flawed. In the merit, though, of his dedication, his daughter Sarah marries Avraham and becomes the mother of the Jewish people. And his son Lot travels with them as they go to Israel to begin the journey. Lot carries with him both his father's strengths and his father's flaws. He sticks by Avraham when the going is good but ultimately decides to move to Sodom, where his material situation shows more promise. The need to be safe, the need to be comfortable, is still strong within him. We know where that leads. His daughter is killed by the wicked Sodomites. His home is lost, his wife, most of his children. He escapes with just two daughters into the hills, and it doesn't get any better from therein. Each of his daughters bears one of his children, Moab and Ammon. And hundreds of years later, the king of Moab has a daughter, 
Rus. Rus, too, is born with the strengths and the flaws of her ancestors. But she chooses upward. With no husband, with no money, she says to Naomi, I'm not leaving your side. I'm not headed for greener pastures. Where you go, I will go. Where you sleep, I will sleep. Your nation is my nation. Your God is my God. I'm in it, and I'm in it entirely. Thus, Rus joins the Jewish people and becomes the mother of royalty, the great-grandmother of David HaMelech, the Hadvarim Atikim. These are ancient indeed. Thank you for learning together with me. Le'ilui Nishmas Rose Foreman, Rezel Rachel Bas Arieleben Rachel Zeitlin.